This is a presentation of Man Breed. Man Breed. Man Breed. Man Breed. Hello and welcome to Man Breed Live. I'm Michael Diallo McLendon. Uh, again, this is Man Breed Live, where we believe that to understand a man is to acknowledge all men. And we have the resident uh, brothers in the house. I'm going to start out, though, by tossing it to none other than Orlando Boyd, the uh, one who came up with the Man Breed Live concept and our street therapist uh, of the crew. Orlando, how you doing today, sir? I am wonderful, Brother Mike. Glad to be here for another edition of Man Breed Live. I think one of our most powerful conversation and topics just yet the essence of man breed and uh, we could not do it without the man himself the doctor the one who writes prescriptions with his lips the <laughs> 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 one and only <laughs> dr thurman well hey what's good hey what's good everybody man i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be a part of this group you know he talked about those prescriptions man but i couldn't write them without y'all so this is a group effort. It's a group effort, man. And I'm, I'm glad we're here. We're bringing some insightful things, uh, some some new perspectives. And uh, I hope the men and women are learning a lot from our topics. You know, we're going to keep it coming as long as you guys will have us. And so I'm excited. Back to Mr. Michael McLendon. You want to kick us off? Yes, yes. Well, today, as you all said, it's a very uh, serious topic. We're talking about the state of the black man. And as you all know, there's a lot going on in society uh, in general, and then America more specifically as it relates to race relations. We've continued to see uh, black men die at the hands sometimes of police, other times uh, at the hands of those who just would not like to see black men living. You know, uh, of course we had Ahmaud Aubrey who was just jogging and uh, they drove up and, and they shot him. And then we more recently, uh, George Floyd, situation where in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, he was killed uh, at the hands of police. And he, it's all on video. And it's really kind of got us at a tipping point, if you will, or at a point where it seems like change may happen. So we wanted to talk about the state of the black man. And before we really delve into it, I was wondering if, you know, you all have watched the actual video of George Floyd, and if you had, what your response is to that or what it was like in the song. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, go ahead. Well, go ahead, Doc. No, go ahead, Doc. You go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I had, I, I had watched the video, and uh, that's completely opposite of the behavior that I've been practicing as of late. You know, once you, you hear the audio from Trayvon Martin, you see the video from Tamir Rice, you see the video from Philando Castillo. Like I've said before, it's impossible for you to interact with that stuff and not be traumatized uh, and not normalize it. And it becomes problematic when you normalize something that's not normal. Uh, and so like, uh, but you know, that particular video was, was everywhere. And uh, so I did come across it. And of, of course, the first thing that hit me was, was anguish and heartache. And, and much like a lot of people have stated, uh, to watch a grown man call for his mama is a different type of agony uh and to watch other individuals not be humanly affected by it 
uh, also created a different level of anguish in me also. And so like I was, I was taken back by, by the video. Really, I was taken back by the situation in its entirety. But let me explain. I was not taken back by the situation uh, because I was shocked by it. Like, I truly have, I've researched this area and I've embalmed myself with history and I believe history. So I know that this has been happening the entire time. So I'm not one of those Americans who was completely shocked by what I was seeing. And because uh, I know it was not new behavior. These are things that we've been talking about in our community for years. And I know I can reference you, Michael, and you, Orlando. And we, we've all had our stories. They just didn't end in our demise. But we've had our own stories with regards to discrimination and prejudice and racism. And so I was not surprised by any of this. But again, I, am, I was surprised as a human being because death uh, at the hands of, or dehumanization at the hands of another quote unquote human being is not normal. So that bothered me to my core. Yeah. Yeah. What are you, Orlando? Have you yeah, um, yeah, the digesting of this video really kind of took me back to when you first start getting introduced to videos uh, with cops and black men. Like for, for whatever reason, you know, I grew up in a uh, impoverished neighborhood. And uh, so it was no I'm no stranger to seeing that kind of thing happen. But the narrative seemed to always kind of shift as it started to get more media. And this is prior to the George Floyd. And, and many recent other videos was that it was always something about what did the black guy do? Yeah. You know, what, what invoked it, you know, and, and thankfully over the last few years, that wasn't a question even I had to ask myself when seeing the video, like, well, okay, what did he do to get, be in that situation? Right. It was, he, he, what did he do? He was born black. That's why he, he was in that situation. And seeing that video even of itself, and I said this even on radio show that when I first saw it, I saw it like hours after it was first posted and I did not know that he had died into it. So me watching the video for the first time was me realizing he actually died, yeah. you know, gotcha. um, and that really was like I knew not to say prophetic, or nothing, but I said, no, nah, this is different. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely different, which we're seeing that now. Um, I liken this um, in, in, in an interview I did earlier this, uh, this week where I said, I think that this George Floyd whole situation is this generation's Emmett Till. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's going to have that, that, that effect that's going to be lasting, just like when you heard about the Emmett Till, how his mother wanted to open casket so people can see what had happened to him. That sparked something. And it, it kind of conjured up something that, that really uh, helped propel the, the whole civil rights movement. So I can see similarities in this George Floyd video in the fact of the, how the, the attitude was of the cop. And it just become the, you know, this the, the, the final straw that sends this thing into a point that, yeah, there, there is what we always have been saying. There is a problem now we have to do something about it. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll be honest, historically, you know, I've always made it a point to watch historical films. Uh, I made it a point to encourage and almost like say to young people, hey, you know, you need to see that because we don't ever need to forget what happened to our people 
unless we return to that space. But I, I must admit, when, because my tank was so full from all the things that have happened, I haven't been able to bring myself to, to look at this one uh, because uh, kind of, you know, documenting the trauma of it all. Uh, and on, on the one hand, I feel like, you know, I should because I need to look at what we're dealing with. On the other hand, I feel like, you know, when I think about slavery and how they would uh, lynch, have public lynchings and, you know, tie a brother, you know, to two different trucks and stretch them in different di directions. And they would have the slaves or the enslaved Africans to watch them uh, to traumatize them. I said to myself, I don't want the added trauma, but at the same time, I want to make sure I, 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 I honor the brother, you know, and understand the moment where we are. Uh, so it's been hard for me to to bring myself to actually, I started watching it one time and I stopped it uh, just because I've seen so much. Uh, and uh, and so I still to this day haven't, haven't watched it, even though I've been, you know, relatively uh, engaged uh, in terms of trying to promote buying a black from black businesses and, and, and making sure that I am a steward, not only of my dollars, but of my time and of my conversations and, and putting out what I really believe, uh, because we're at a crucial point, as you all said, and, and I'm very curious as to what you all think is different this time in terms of moving forward. I, I know we see people from different races even more now than before chiming in and even saying things like Black Lives Matter, or, or, yeah. or, or even though I know in the 60s there was a, there was a multicultural group of people, uh, but in this space and time, it does seem like the people who we just a few years ago would, would say, hey, what are you doing kneeling? A lot of yeah. them are, like, are either like saying, hey, this is wrong. And then the ones who are coming out and saying, you know, I don't know, I love the police. They're getting pushback, not only from African-Americans, but from other white people. So I'm seeing that difference, but I'm wondering what you all see in terms of this being different in terms of the public response and how things might move forward for us as black men and as a black community. Well, I think one of the things that make this one different, um, it, it lies into that the audacity of this police officer. And that's the same thing that that many in the black community have been saying for the longest about they don't care. And we're seeing more of the emphasis on now the power of the police union that keeps these cops on now. Listen, somebody break in my house right now, I'm going to call the cops, right? We know that, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that we, you know, and the hope is that I'm going to come in and, and talk right. I ain't going to be belligerent and, and disrespectful and anything like that because I, you know, I know better. Like I said, you know, even my own case, I, I was really, my, my life path was toward law enforcement when I, when I got out of high school. I, I just knew I was going to be FBI agent, um, but God had a different plan for me. But that being said, I've always had a respect for the law. But in, in, in many instances where we see that and across the board in, in the industries, that when you have a person who is a, a so-called bad apple, you don't get a chance to continue to keep going on and on and on in that profession. You know, you're going to eventually be weeded out. And now what we're seeing after this final incident is like, OK, maybe we do need to take a look at how these how this law enforcement is and, and even going back to how it was structured, maybe being some of the root to why the problems seem to be persistent in the black community and primarily toward the black man. And I'll get to some other points on that, but as we're saying now, what's gonna be different, I think now it becomes to is like, okay, this, this, this a group of people, meaning police, and this whole seems to be a microcosm of the total racism in this whole country. 
and that we need to pay close attention onto it and hear what we've been saying, the black community has been saying for so long. Now, like I said, we have a microphone. Before we were yelling in front and, and you know, people couldn't hear us. Now we have the microphone and now I think it could be clearer that they can still see in what we've been talking about for this whole time and be able to hear it clearly and saying some action needs to be done. You know, we're all familiar with this is Black Man and Doc, of course, you're the founder of Rebrand the Black Man. Uh, sure. that's, that's very important during the season. Uh, what about you? What do you see happening now that's different from what's happened before, if there is something that's different? Yeah, you know, we've had uh, these periods throughout history. You know, after slavery, we had uh, Reconstruction. Uh, some say right after civil rights, we had another Reconstruction. And you can make an argument that we're in the third phase of a Reconstruction now. Um, there are a couple of things that are different this time than previous. Um, I live by the philosophy that within devastation, there's always opportunity. And uh, so with that being said, within COVID was an opportunity for injustice to be seen without the uh, cataracts of that America has generally suffered from. This was the first time that mainstream America could not uh, throw the sheet over us with with a sporting event. They could not throw the sheet over us with an outing to a bar to drink with their friends. They could not throw the sheet over us with new media on TV because people haven't been able to record that. And so the only new content that was being spread via various forms of media was this social injustice and this, uh, this inhumane act. And so they were forced to to pay attention. They were forced to see, or they were forced to actually acknowledge that we as people of color are not paranoid. Because we've been telling you since NWA, and even before that, that this has been happening. But there was this sense of paranoia that exists like, nah, because they're that. So they could not be doing that, which means you must be telling uh, an untruth. So this was the first time that America got to see it for themselves and they could not turn away. That was very different. The other thing that's different here is that uh, the millennial generation, the younger generation, they are more diverse than the generations that preceded it. And while we harp on that generation for uh, their, their acts with regards to entitlement, because they feel like they're entitled to a lot of stuff. And we talk about millennials being entitled and we rag on them. Uh, the other side of that coin is millennials feel like they're entitled to equality and justice as well. And so what you are seeing is that the younger generation say, wait a minute, what do you mean? I'm entitled to it being free and equal. And so the same fool that they act in the back of a classroom because they feel entitled to that is the same fools that they're going to act when they get out there when it comes to this justice marching and making sure that equality comes to pass. And I don't mean fool in a negative sense. I just mean outside of the character that you want them to behave in. And so they, they taught me a major lesson here. They have the most organic definition of what freedom is. I think my generation um, defines freedom as this thing that, okay, we want the dog off the leash. However, we want you to put the fence up so that he doesn't bite anybody. And the younger generation says that's not a true definition of freedom. They say you need to have the dog off the leash and you also need to put the fence down. 
because the, the, the other side of freedom is you might get bit. However, we can't truly call it freedom unless those other those other devices are not in place. And so that which means there's a responsibility and freedom for us to act accordingly towards one another, respectively towards one another. And uh, actually, I'm encouraged. I started out, you know, about two weeks ago, man, I was down. I was down because I was like, you know, yeah, but I, I thought about it. I thought about it. And I said, you know, if our ancestors could could pick their cotton every day with the understanding that the good outcome was not going to be a part of their life. If they could go through that struggle with the understanding that all of the benefits were not going to be a part of their life. However, Michael McLendon, Orlando Boyd and Thurman Webb sit here and we're able to have this conversation freely. Then I could push through and continue to have as many conversations as I need to have. The third thing is, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm real. I'm a realist. I'm not an idealist. I'm a realist that holds out hope. So some of those white folks are calling black folks not because they believe black lives matter, but they want to feel comfortable. They want to get they want to get back to that comfortable place. So their ability to be able to call somebody black and say, hey, oh, well, I got a black friend and they said I'm OK. And then you have the other ones who are true allies to this movement. Uh, I think that we will continue to, to analyze and sift those type of relationships, too. Just trust and believe all of them that's, that's uh, trying to check on their black friends uh, have not been convinced enough to change their vote, which makes it important for us as people in our black people in our community to make sure that not only are we voting, but we're creating avenues for other people in our neighborhoods to go vote also, which means you may be making two or three trips to the polls if that's what's needed to happen. But uh, voting is one form of advocacy. However, we need to make sure that we exercise all forms of advocacy. That's good. And let me let me let me say this right quick, Mike. Um, because as you said, what what's difference in this? And Doc mentioned about the young people. I think one of the one of the greatest things, if you have children, you can understand this is that children will ask you questions, and they'll break it down to the simplest form until you have to say why. Correct. And well, when we get these protests, it used to be in the past when you see protests and everything, it was the what. What are you protesting for? But this case has brought up the why we have to protest. And yeah. when you start getting that why in there, that opens up a lot more of the, okay, yes, this is what I'm going to stand for. The answers to the why seem, seems to be one of the collectives that start to have people into a sense of consciousness and saying, you know what, I can't call myself a good person and turn a, a blind eye to this. And right. we know that there's going to be the resistance, which we see that, you know what I mean? There's always going to be resistance to change. But at the same time, we talk about why this one is different. The young people coming in and they asking their parents, why is this happening? And you got to give an answer. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of gives it that fuel that power to keep regenerating and seeing something being done throughout to an answer is given up. Right. And that's not to make sure I might want to say that's not to dismiss Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland situation. They are that's in there also. And it goes back to what Orlando Absolutely. just said. Why why did this happen to Breonna Taylor? Why is her why is the, the investigative report coming out and there's four pages blank? Right. So now now we have other questions like, wait a minute, we saw what happened. And what you wrote was totally different than what we saw. Yes. 
how long you been doing that? Right. Right. right? So that's why I say like justice reform and police department, something has to change because if I just saw you write this down, I did, you just did this with George Floyd. Now we're looking at the paperwork with Breonna Taylor and you wrote this down and it's totally opposite. Then we just watched you with an older white gentleman push him down and he hit his head and you wrote something totally different on the piece of paper. Now we have to look at the integrity of the people who are meant to protect us. And we see that they don't have the integrity necessarily to protect us. So what have they been doing? And, you know, that's when you get some of those narratives that, you know, some people believe that police are the biggest gang in the country or, you know, they're not really here to, to, you know, serve and protect. Right. We know like these are the narratives that ran in our community. So other alternatives were made to serve and protect the community. But, you know, just because we made an alternative still does not make it right. If we design a, a entity to serve and protect, then we need to make sure that we put the policies in place that they a, that they actually do just that. And so I'm all for justice reform. So, Doc, are you talking about policy in Orlando? Are you mentioning some of the similar things uh, with everything that's going on? Like, you know, from here, like, what are some of the concrete things that y'all see that we can do? I know one of them, you know, we always talk about education. Right, but I know they can take on a lot of different flavors, uh, and like you said, Doc, young people are uh, stepping up to the plate and, and and doing things that kind of maybe maybe we would have been doing twenty years ago, but not with the same paradigm. Uh, I, I look at the athletes, and I, I see the, uh, the African African American athletes being more vocal. And then I just saw with NASCAR, you know, all these white guys were saying, you know, uh, it's time for a change. No more rebel flag at NASCAR, you know, and all these different things. And I, I, I wonder, as, as black men, as middle-aged black men, uh, what role we play in bringing about it's, change in this time? You know, we, we are, the, we are the, the elders. We are the beginning elders of our culture, which means we are the keepers of the tradition. You know, I, I, you know one thing that, uh, and I don't quote him often, but Tupac said that, like, once a black man gets 35, he ain't got no more energy to be out there, mm-hmm. you know, fighting and, and, and throwing tear gas, like they take that, that's gone, which means our advocacy has to change to inform the ones who do have the energy to make sure that they do it in the right context, that they have some context, that they understand the historical uh, anchor with which all of this action is linked to, you know, so we, we often say that there's a historical future, right, which means we, we can pretty much predict the future based on some things that have happened in history. But again, like Orlando said, this one feels different, which means the outcome will be different. I don't know what it will be, but it'll be different. So um, we need to make sure that we are still, we are operating in all lanes of advocacy, which means if you have a social media, it's time for you to turn the camera around and point it at the issue instead of yourself. Post information on how people can register to vote. Post information on how they can contact their local officials post scripts on what they can say when they get those local officials on the phone, post email addresses. Maybe you need to go ahead and write out the email so they can copy and paste, fill that name in and keep it moving. It's going to take those type of efforts to make sure that we have a galvanized, comprehensive uh, attack to, to create this reform because we can't do it by ourselves. and make sure that you're pulling in other ethnicities who are truly allies to this, this fight. 
because it's going to take them. It's necessarily going to take them. We only represent roughly anywhere between 13 and 15 percent of this population. It's going to take our allies and fight with us in order to make this happen. So let's 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 get together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, one of the things that you know uh, I kind of want to talk about, and maybe not spend a lot of time, but at least delve into it because uh, we both, uh, all three of us, navigate different spaces. You know, we're dealing with a lot of different races of people, and sometimes. I think, as we say, a lot of people have been brought to a certain level of consciousness because of that video. Uh, but I think we've all had our own situations uh, in our own lives where either it was the police or some other situation that could have very easily gone uh, in another direction. Uh, I remember, you know, having worked at Tennessee State University for years and then stopping. Uh, and, and then, I, you know, I've been back there since that time. But I was working on some films and I was saying to myself, OK, well, I know a space at TSU that would be great. Uh, for a scene, let me go talk to it, uh, this person who's over this particular program, and maybe they will allow for, you know, through whatever protocols, us to shoot there. And I forgot that during the summers, there are no classes on Friday. Uh, people are not necessarily supposed to be on campus. So I go into this building and I look at a couple pictures on the wall. Uh, after I notice that the person's not there, leave the building, and then uh, 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 one of the cops drives up and says, you know, were you just in the building? And I said, yeah, I was looking for a friend of mine who worked in the building. She wasn't in, blah, blah, blah. He's like, uh, so we got a call that someone was in the building uh, looking into our, the, the girl's bathroom. Uh, and I said, well, I was in the building, but I wasn't looking in the bathroom. And then they began to ask, you know, who I was. I said, well, I don't work on campus anymore. I used to, like, for years, I worked in the ag school, which is right over, right here with Dr. Reddy. I started calling out names, you know. There you Dr. go. All these different people because I'm trying to say, I belong here. I'm not an intruder. Uh, so as, as I'm explaining, like, maybe four, three or four more other uh, cops come up. The first guy was a white cop, and then... Maybe there was one more white and two black women, and they're like, you know, calm down, it's all right. But, I'm, you know, at this point, I'm like, whoa, this is more than that's warranted because I wasn't doing that, and I just left the building. Uh, and, you know, they say, well, okay, it's, you know, it's no big deal, whatever, but we need you to fill out an uh, uh, incident report. So I had to go through this thing where I fill out this incident report, and then, you know, one of them says, you know, well, you know, on Fridays, nobody's supposed to be on campus, blah, blah, blah. But by the time this thing is over, I'm like, whoa. I what was trying to see if I could use space and do it the right way uh, because I thought this would be good for a scene in the film. And, and my first thought is like, I just, I know if, if I was, <laughs> in my opinion, if I was Asian, if I was white, or even let's say a black female, uh, all of this would not have happened because of my presence. Uh, yeah. So it's just in my own life, like a situation that just kind of threw me back in a familiar space. You know, that I thought, hey, it's cool. I'm just going up here to check. But nah, it wasn't cool. That all. But I wonder about you all, not to delve too yeah. deep and to go in and out, because I'm sure we all have experiences if you all have had anything to well, share. Well, I, I, I'll share this part. And this was a little bit of the narrative when I first saw the video and I started to process a little bit. And in a lot of the, I said this on radio as well, if you look at when you see the, the killings of um, black men, especially when there was one or more uh, police officers, you know the common denominator in all those videos and instances? 
Mm. The common denominator is there's no black officers with them. And so my first thing was like, okay, we need to have more black officers on the force. But then I realized that that probably is not the issue because a lot of times you have black that start to conform to the culture that is more the problem in that with the police departments. And so when you say like what happened incidents with these blacks and a lot of times when you see blacks policing black neighborhoods, they usually have a relationship. I mean, the knuckleheads are going to be knuckleheads. We know that. And they have more run-ins with the police and stuff seems to happen a lot. But where this starts to trigger is when, like you said, Mike, you doing your own thing and three, four cops had to pull up. You know what I mean? Uh, so many incidences where, hey, I, listen, all thing I was doing was this and then all this was this, all this necessary. And it builds this this anxiety uh, for most black men when they see a cop, you know, in the presence. Cause that's the first thing they start thinking about. So we start talking about some of these things and changing that, you know, how that changes in our community. I, I, that's going to be a, that's going to be the question that it becomes relational, you know, but how that relation starts has to come from coming from within, from that, uh, from the police presence, in a sense. I think, like I said, that these black problems need to have answers from black people. And I think that blacks being on the inside and being able to see what's wrong and be able to kind of see, transport that to the community be one step of, of us having a better understanding, one. But like I said, we have to blow up that current culture because that culture in and of itself is part of the problem. Even how the system is designed and how it even began, it, it was designed to basically keep an oppression of black men, especially keep those prisons filled. Uh, keep them bids filled. And uh, like I said, the more money, more crime out there, those police departments keep getting funded. So that's the more the systematic problems. And that's keeps the pressure on them to continue to kind of provoke things in the community that make it where we always have these problems. Right. And, you know, we talk about, you know, it's funny because I was, I was thinking about this early in the week. We talk about the black community uh, having this, having PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder, right? But I got to thinking about that, you know, in the black community, we haven't even had an opportunity to get to the P in PTSD. It ain't post, because it's, it's current. Post, yeah, it's current, it's current. Right? Yeah, so like, I don't current. even have to, I, I don't even get an opportunity to just rely on a memory of trauma because I'm constantly getting new images and situations of trauma. And, and so, like, it, 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 is, it is a daunting task, like, because you, you have to wonder, like, what has America been looking at? Because they sure as hell ain't been looking at me. And I think that is where we are, and that is the type of accountability that we need to hold um, America to. I've been here, this has been happening, but you haven't been looking at me, so what have you been looking at? It's, it's like navigating the minefield, you know, and, it, and it's not like we out of the minefield, uh, you know, maybe some other people saying that, yeah, yeah we're, we're in a, like a, a space where it's challenging to exist. Uh, and to me, what seems different is some, it seems like there are more maybe white people having conversations with other white people about it, or at least that's what I kind of get a glimpse of in the media. And that's what I'm hoping is happening in terms of, you know, checking themselves because it's our reality that is challenging but a lot of it's coming from another place 
And sometimes, like, you know, some of the athletes, it is having some of the white athletes stand up and say, this is wrong. Uh, this should be happening. Because many of the other people are not going to just hear. We, we, we've shouted about it for years. But until they see someone that looks like them talking about it and kind of explaining, they don't hear. I mean, that's my belief of why they have, like, a lot of the announcers. Like, you know, people, would they really watch sports if they didn't have Ernie, you know, in terms of the NBA or the coach? That's a white guy. You know, if it was just a lot of us, it'd be exciting. But the window in is 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 Ernie Johnson with you know with that TV, or it's or it's the coaches, or that you know other that player that's white on the team, and then they they enjoy appreciate our greatness in these things. But I say that just to say that I believe in terms of the conversation, their window in to really kind of questioning their own ideologies is having someone that's like them uh, challenge it. And not just us, because they think either they were crying wolf or they just don't want to see the change happen oftentimes. Well, uh, I think that, that we're in this environment now of people preparing for, you know, cultural shifts and, and paradigms being shifted. Because you look at how, how um, expansive the Me Too movement was, right? That started to change a lot of narratives that people didn't say they turned their they head to you know, kept quiet and everything like that. It didn't start to, there was some energy that built up and that thing exploded like a wildfire. Yeah. And now it, it becomes commonplace for the, that same behavior that was mostly from men who, you know, used to get away with certain things. And now with this Me Too movement, you know, that that predator dude or that dude who thought it was just, hey, this is just the way it is. Now he got he to gotta start having second thoughts because the conversation became so, so invasive that you could not run away from it. And sadly, though, what the treatment of black men and black people by what's going on in this country and the racism had been talked about for so long, but it never really caught, like, if it was a fire, it would smolder out. It would just smoke, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the smoke wasn't enough to say there's a fire that we need to bring attention to. The George Floyd video albeit that it just it was a microcosm where we've already seen so many other stories that didn't get caught on video. This became the wildfire, the fire that caught that, that great dry piece of grass that kept on burning and turned to where now this fire is uncontrollable and became so intrusive that you have, you know, you can't, you can't avoid it. And that's what we're, that's what we're seeing now. It becomes that like, this is a real thing, you know, America has its roots that are not perfect and we need to address these now and not keep pushing it back to, you know, later. Correct. Cause even when you look at, uh, you know, you look at the NFL and you, you know, people saying, okay, you know, cap was doing this back then and he should be vindicated at this point. And, you know, cap needs a job in the NFL. And I'm telling people like, that's like one of the, the, the most shallow, uh, responses yeah. to this movie. Yeah. yeah. Cap don't need a job. Right. The problem is that you're still asking for a job. We need minority owners that give jobs. We need representation in the GM of the office that controls things. It's not about me being able to go back to work. It's my ability to provide work opportunities. That's where the power lies. The power is not in picking options. The power is in creating options. And so 
this movement, I think, uh, you know, you know, like I said, I think we we're getting it right because people want to be able to create the options. And we've said that the options you put on the table with regards to law enforcement is not working. So we need to create something else. And uh, I think the movement is, is gaining some steam. I'm and I'm happy about it because it's not a vindictive movement. You know, there was a young lady on TV and she said, you know, people ought to be glad that we're looking for equality and not revenge. Yeah. And that, but that speaks to the nature of minorities and marginalized members all across this country, whether it be black, brown, or yellow, or red. We've mm -hmm. constantly put ourselves in uh, positions to demonstrate humanity and humanism, right? Which means we, we do it through ideas of love, and I think this movement is no different. You know, uh, both of y'all are, are fathers. And so this is a, a pregnant time as we've been talking. What do those conversations look like now as it relates to when you get ready to talk about what's happening in society at large? I mean, are your kids coming to you to talk about it? I know they're not little kids anymore, but still, are they coming to you to have those conversations and, and what do those look like? You uh, for me, you're good, Doc, go ahead. Now, I was gonna say, uh, yeah, we, we're, we've had, we're having those conversations. Uh, and that, that's just by, a byproduct of my experience in counseling. You know, I talked to too many adolescents who, who uh, their parents drop them off and think they have no idea what's going on in the house. And the first moment that they get when we're in session, they say, oh, yeah, my mom and dad are thinking about divorce or, you know, <laughs> but they've been trying to shield them from that. And that's because it's not just about what we're saying. It's about what we're not saying. It's about what our disposition is saying. And so um, you would be a fool to think that all of this could go on in the entire world and your child has no idea that something is going on. So the best part, the best thing for you to do is to sit them down and help them get it in the context with which they can understand. That don't mean you got to give, give them all of it, but you got to give it to them in the context in which they can understand because they need to build on this knowledge just like you need to build on this knowledge. So we've had conversations with regards to what is rioting and uh, well, why are they rioting? You know, you know, what, what are they trying to accomplish? Why are these people breaking in the stores? Why are these people are walking with signs, right? So we, we're showing a differentiation amongst members of the crowd. So we've had simple conversations like that. And uh, we've, we've, we've started to talk this week about individual race, racism versus uh, structural racism. So mm -hmm. that's how we're approaching the issue. Mm -hmm. your yeah. yeah, mine comes from uh, having the conversation of not to, it's uh, like basically number one, controlling that emotion that you have when you keep seeing this stuff, the anger part into it, and then still making sure that that doesn't translate to some type of disrespect to the police. You know what I mean? Because as we see a lot of videos of what this abuse is, you see a lot of stuff where people, you know, are talking crazy and, and kind of provoking uh, police and things like that. And so my, my conversation, especially to my daughters, because I know, like I said, it'd be different if my, my daughter's 22, if my son was 22, I, it'd be a whole different conversation right now. You know, yeah. a lot of different yeah. protective measures and stuff like that. It, it'd be a whole different conversation. But still for my daughter, though, I still want her to not, not to have an adversarial uh, type of attitude because of what's going on and feeling a certain way that 
and the cop pulls her over that she can be kind of emboldened to feel like she can talk and do some of these other stuff that starts to be provoking. But at the same time, though, it still comes to a point of her and, and what we have in the conversation of what we'd be doing, society that things are going to be doing better. Like I said, is in the forefront as far as some reform. I tell her about the importance right now, as the doc said, of not only voting, but knowing what your vote is going to mean, what the, what, what's the weight of your vote. Meaning that, you know, when we see a lot of these police departments, um, but a lot of the Democrats are in power. So they mean that 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 mean they allowed the people to these cops to still be on the force. So knowing who you're voting for and why you're voting. And then if that if those choices aren't strong enough, then how can you have some influence to make sure those people who you line up to what you believe and what they want, what you need for them to do? How can you start to formulate and call and have a coalition to get your get those needs in. So that's that is pretty much what uh, our conversations are, is the action items that we can do and what we can enforce to and, and, and implement to keep moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that in terms of political activity, in terms of people saying vote, even though I am hearing some pushback from young people saying, hey, you know, uh, voting is not going to change things, even though we know it, it, it is a part of the process, right? But I'm all, then I'm hearing people say, hey, it's time for us to run to, for office more. Uh, because yeah. oftentimes yeah. we, we, we critique, yeah. and that, that's yeah. good. And we uh, we get people out to vote, and that's good. Uh, we attend meetings, and that's good. But oftentimes, particularly as black men, we're not necessarily throwing our hat in the ring and running for office. Uh, and a lot of us cost us some historical things, you know, unless maybe we've had somebody in the past in our family who was a political official or even maybe even a pastor might be, since he's already in a uh, role of leadership, might be inclined to run. Uh, but people are saying more of us as African-Americans, particularly more of us as African-American men, should be considering, uh, you know, running for a position that could impact change on a local, state, or national level. Uh, I wonder what you guys think yeah. about that's why I was saying about, you know, more black men. That was my initial uh, statement about more black men should join the force that, you know, we have these issues. But that's not necessarily always the answer. One of the things I, I think is the kind of the kickback to it, because even myself has been approached about possibly running for some office. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. And a lot of times black men who are trying to make sure that they have stability in their households, stability in their finances, you know, trying to make sure that they're they're pursuing their passions. You know, being in the political field is not the one, not the thing they want to go after because of the sacrifices and, and transparency that usually comes along with that. At the same time that, you know, there's a certain level of, let's say, integrity parts that comes to the label of being in the politics and, and being a politician, that it does necessarily for the, those men who have the integrity and seeing that they what they want to pursue and make sure that they have the balance in their life, politics don't don't equate to that. But what we can see now, and this may be the beginning, is that sometimes too much is given, much is required. And we must be able to step up and say, for the good of what's going on in our culture and for our people, I may need to be in these places. So I think that that's one of the things that may be some of the shifting from some of those capable individuals that may say to themselves, hey, I must take the mantle, I must take this sacrifice in order to do this for us to be set straight. I'm hoping that that is some of the narrative, and even myself, as I say, 
you know, as I've been approached before about running for some public offices, that it's just in a case of saying in and other things, I know I made the sacrifice for my family and everything like this, but this is for even more. I have more impact and, and, you know, I may have to step up to it and not be afraid to lose, not be afraid that, Hey, if I don't win, listen, I still got my voice out and that the better person won because that person isn't, you know, had raised the most money or whatever, but they're the best person for the job and be able to accept that. Yeah. And keep in mind, like running for office, uh, one necessarily has to play the political game. Mm-hmm. And the political game is uh, is where the cancer actually lies. There are very few uh, African men that I know that can walk into the political game with a squeaky clean record. Uh, but there are several uh, white men that I know who have uh, walked into the political ring squeaky clean, and I know they're not. Which means there are some other things that are at play, and we find those things out when they've been in the office, and you find out they had these these uh, these relationships that were not necessarily uh, a, exemplar exemplary of the position that they hold. Mm-hmm. And so uh, again, the cancer is, is is in the politic itself. You know, when you when you consistently look at uh, cases with regards to to people of color, and you, now, and you see that these lies have changed the trajectory of their lives, then uh, we necessarily have to, we need to go remedy that. Much like Orlando said, if we add more people of color to the police force, however, they sit and they become the, the silent, complicit uh, partners to those who are, are causing these egregious acts, then we've done nothing. And we we definitely have a reference in that when you look at the case of the two college students in Atlanta who were assaulted by the police and you look at the lineup and out of six of them, five of them were people of color. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what is it that's happening in the training that is causing individuals to put this, uh, this, this blue blood theory before the human theory. And that's not to all cops. It's not to all cops. However, Mm -hmm. If the good cops are watching the bad cops, then you are complicit to the crime as well. They're not good cops. They're not good cops at all. And so they, and that's the kicker. I've talked to cops and they know more about the, the egregious stuff that's going on that I don't, that I don't know, which means you, you know about it and you said nothing. And that's because of the culture that resides in that profession. And when you, you listen to the police union, to stand up for these individuals who have done some terrible things, but just stand up in the name of he's a police officer. That is a problem because we would not, we would not uh, let that stand in any other aspect of our society, right? right. Uh, you, 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 if you're going to fight fires, you're going to fight fires. You don't see a bad fireman sitting on the side, you know, uh, I mean, a good fireman sitting on the side when a bad fireman ain't doing his job. Why? Because they're all there to fight fires. Right. And so they want somebody who's going to come in and do that job. You don't if you don't have teachers on the sideline and say, oh, well, yeah, he he had this case going on with this child. No, let's get him out of here. Why? Because we want a good educator in this seat. And so uh, it's, it's a terrible thing when we put more of the burden on the civilian with no training than we do with the police officer who's had multiple uh, experiences or training sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we're talking about relationship issues, and so we have a lot of uh, 
uh, guys, yes, but women in particular who listen. And so I just wonder with this topic, we're talking about the state of the black man, uh, what are some of the things that, you know, we can say to our sisters, to our wives, to our women uh, about where we are as men going forward? Because I've seen some very encouraging things from, from sisters just saying, you know, we got your back, you know, we value you, uh, we love you. And those things, those things are important. I'll never forget when Angie Stone came out with the song, Black Brother. Yeah. And that's, you know, I still go back at times and play that because it's medicinal. It's like medicine, especially when something's going on. So uh, just as brothers, uh, I just wonder what, you know, what you would say to them, you know, because uh, I, for one, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, their support. And they're going through this too, right? You mentioned Breonna Taylor. Right. Talk about Sandra Bland. Uh, it's just that you know we we know the historical context of what's happened with black men in particular, and I really appreciate some of the love that uh, that they've shown us because they're fearful for us in many ways as men because they've yeah. seen how things have played out historically. I want to make sure I, I want to make sure that that that, that we don't uh, segregate ourselves from them. We all in this boat together. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, they they are the ones. That, that have to go identify us when it happens a lot of the time. Historically, they have been. Uh, they are the also, you know, black women are the ones that actually historically have stood in the gap to prevent it from happening, only for it to, the, the aggression or to be, for them to become the target of the aggression that they are trying to keep from us. That's right. And we saw, and you know, trust me, there are a lot of instances of police brutality uh, against black women that are not even making the news. And when we look at those instances, you have to remember that theirs comes along with some form of sexual assault a lot of the times, which is a, a, another uh, rape or, or assault on our community. So, you know, I don't, I don't you know, we, when I say us, I, I'm encompassing them. It's not, you know, they with us. No, this is happening to black America. This is happening to brown America. This is happening to yellow America. This is happening to red America. So this is not just a black problem. This is, this is a problem of any marginalized member that has gone through the conditions that we've gone through for the last 401 years. So as we talk about systemic racism, what are some of the other issues? Because we talk about police, police brutality today. But that's just one area, right? What are some of the other things that we're hoping that as we grapple with police brutality, you know, that will kind of be addressed? Because it's the systemic. And it's not just police brutality, but that is the crux by which we get to this place most specifically. Yeah, well, you know, systemic, it comes down the line and we got to understand, like, you know, what, why? And to go back to that question of why, like, why do you hate black people? Why do you hate us so much? And I saw a recent video, which is an old video of Farrakhan when he was saying that do they hate us because they think that we're going to do to them and we get in the power what they do to us. And the, the thing about it is, like I said, when you look at so when it goes through the history and not have enough time to go through all the other things that it kind of led up to this point right now, though, we as people, I think that we, even though there's things that comes against us just because we see certain levels of success from people who overcome, but we can't, as some people and and other races think, well, just because Thurman Webb became a, a psychiatrist, why can't other people become psychiatrists? And you know, and Michael McClendon become a successful actor. Why can't you know? That's not that's not necessarily the narrative that we know that some other people face in from the 
systemic things that go on from the education starting from schools by the time they're in grade school to neighborhoods, all these things that, that go on that kind of become hindrances and that we see, and I still point to because of the state of the conversation where the where we talk about, which is the big part of a, a conversation now, is this funding that police officers and the departments get and the lack of funding for other things that help out for after school, but continue to uh, do things in the community that will prevent people from being in those situations. So when you see all these things that go on with these cops having these issues and then these payouts and stuff like that, the money that they pay out, if they didn't have to pay out, that would be a, a ton of community centers, just in every urban neighborhood, after school programs, things, computers, all these things that help reduce those numbers. Those are the things that, that would be paramount to start to change things because you can send somebody into space, but you can't spend money and making sure that where a lot of your high crime areas, that those things can be where the, the juveniles will have more stuff to do and not to be distracted and be led to uh, things that make them have to act out and be in a situation where they have to have these encounters with police. So that's just a tip of it. There's, there's a lot more. We don't have enough time to get into it, but that's that's pretty much, like I said, a, a microcosm of some yeah. things that can be changed. Yeah, and the thing I'll add to that is the fact that, like I said, there's individual racism and there's structural racism. Mm -hmm. And America was built on structural racism. So uh, since America's inception, it has always spoke the language of racism and prejudice and discrimination. So uh, with, with that being said, like um, it has to be remade or redone because it, it is it was never meant to be equal. So that would suggest that the system is functioning better than they thought it would because it was never meant to, uh, it was never meant for black people to be equal to the white man. It was never meant for the white woman to be equal to the white man and any other ethnicity for that matter. So, um, and, and it, but it's not a cause and effect situation, kind of like what Orlando was alluding to. Uh, racism comes by way of controlling resources or limiting access to resources. So when they limit access to healthcare, that affects us. When they limit our ability to access quality food, that affects us. When they reduce our living situations or opportunities, that affects us. When they limit our job opportunities, that affects us, right? All of these things work together to reduce our life expectancy. That is structural racism. It predisposes you to have to create an alternative that they have not deemed to be legal. Keep in mind, because when we take that alternative and we make money and they see that money can be made after we've been locked up, then they turn around and they legalize the very thing that they locked us up for. Right. That is not fair. That is not equal. But because of our record now, we can't access the billion dollar industry that it is now. And it furthermore puts them in control of those dollars. So we don't have any economic power because we don't have any capital with which we can use to leverage uh, for other situations. And when we have done that historically, and a lot of people talk about Tulsa, Oklahoma, but there were other Black Wall Streets out there too. But for this purpose, we'll talk about Tulsa, Oklahoma. When we have done that, then they've come in and they destroyed and ravaged and, and reduce the ability to, to 
create for ourselves in those situations too. Mm -hmm. So that again, that is that is a structural racism piece. That is what we're fighting for: equality, equality. Just let, like like Al Sharpton said, get get your knee in my neck, and I can handle the rest. Mm -hmm. uh, before we end today, I did want to kind of throw out to you guys, like during this time, though, what advice kind of do you give to? you know, black men, black women, black children in general about being in this time? Because it, it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of tricky right now, you know, because, you know, on the one hand, uh, race issues have been amplified. Uh, on the other hand, we're dealing with a pandemic, uh, with COVID, you know. Uh, so, you know, as, as people, as a race of people, you know, there's, there's new acceptance to some degree talk about our issues. And at the same time, you know, uh, that means there's some changes we have to make in how we deal with these things as well, because some of us, you know, sometimes when that, that person who is ready to change comes back, you know, we're not necessarily ready for that change or want to believe that it's true for good reason, right? But but what are some things that can help us to navigate this time that we're dealing with as well as the racial issues and all the things that we're dealing with as a society as large? And that's a big question, but I'm curious as to what you guys think. Um, I, I will say this, and like I said, I mean, it's a lot more to say, but just for time, but I, I, I'd say encourage for those, especially in the, in the black community that know that you are part of a race for change. Um, many Asians and things like that, like white people didn't, they didn't pick on Asians too much because they thought Asians were submissive and everything like that. And, and, and Latinos and everything like that, but blacks kind of had a little resistance. We were loud, you know what I'm saying? We ain't going to put up. And so that's why I think that they, they come after and have so many things systematically, especially for blacks. But we just know and stay encouraged that we are part of the change. You are part of the change and make sure that you continue. You, you young mothers who may be single, single mothers, keep your, and you have sons, keep them encouraged and making sure that they in themselves don't feel like that. Hey, like I said, you know, they can be doom and gloom, but at the same time, feel like there's a, a certain level of empowerment but not necessarily having the audacity that comes for conflict. We don't need to have a start in a war. We have to be strategic in this and be smart into what is going to be the results because we can, we can be uh, very strategic in this. We don't have to be kind of trying to match arm in arm, uh, arms for arms in this and be like, you know, well, we need to get gunned up and things like that. There's a place for that, but you know, we have to be very strategic in this and, and be, uh, the old saying, the pen is mightier than the sword, and the vote is, is stronger than the, you know, saying the, the boots in this case. But we want to make sure that we, we stay encouraged and knowing that we are part of the change, and mm -hmm. that's the thing that can continue to keep things motivated. And I say that as, as um, a black man who's in a, in, in a black culture, having influence in media and things like that, that we want to uh, continue to keep ourselves educated and, and, and continue to seek more of these answers. For far too long, we've been complacent. But this is one of those things that stokes us to be like, you know what, we're going to be on fire, learn more of our history, learn more of the policies and things like that so we can invoke and have a better imprint going forward. That's good. Doc, what about you? What would you say? Uh, you know, just to, to piggyback on what Orlando said, you know, we got to recognize that this fight is for change. This is not, this is just not about one incident. This is about a culmination of incidences that are part of a much bigger problem. And so this, this fight has to be consistent. Uh, it, it doesn't just stop a week from now. It doesn't stop a year from now. 
it, it, is, it is something that has to be maintenanced um, on a consistent basis. It's just like your car. If you want your car to run, run smooth, you're going to change the oil. You're going to rotate the tires. You're going to change the filters. Uh, so forth, so on, and like equality and justice is the same way. And uh, I think, you know, we are in a great position because, you know, people are starting to realize like your, your voice matters and there's work that needs to be done and I need to be actively engaged to do that work. But remember, it's about a commitment to the work. It's a commitment to the work and uh, you have to be consistent in those efforts. So I encourage everybody to keep moving forward. You know, us here at Man Breed Live, we're going to continue to move forward. We're consistent with our content. We're consistent with our advocacy. I consider Man Breed Live to be a form of advocacy because we're not just talking about uh, the, the, the headlining topic. We are talking about all of the subtopics that affect the headlining topic. And one of those things is relationship. And when you look at social justice and equality and humanity, it's all about relationship. So I hope individuals continue to uh, tap in and, 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 and listen to Man Breed Live for those insights, and we'll try to keep it coming. Yeah, usually I know we're talking about romantic relationships or at least husband-wife type deals, but today we just had to go ahead and kind of address some of the things that have been happening in society at large. Uh, I'm tired of the state of the black man, really the community in general, uh, and how things have been uh, being transformative. Uh, again, as usual, uh, you, can, you can find out more about what we're doing on Facebook, live, or Man Breed. So, uh, Orlando, Doc, any last words that you all like to share with the people who are listening? Uh, I'd just like to say, as we continue to do in this Man Breed, um, we're going to continue to have these types of subjects that continue things brings in the forefront because it's imperative for us that if we can't, as we, we harp on more compatibility, but if there's not enough of us to go around, it won't be no compatibility. So we got to start doing some other things to make sure for our, for our own survival. But yes, and still for our own, you know, we come up to. And, and I think that's the bigger thing that we're seeing now. A lot of encouraging things that we, uh, that, that wasn't in, the, that, that things that people in the past have fought for. And now we're in this 2020 that we still yeah. can overcome and be able to do even greater things. So, I'm excited about it. We can continue to have greater dialogue. There's another piece into this conversation opens up and that, therefore then it can invoke some change. So stay excited. Well, we really want to thank you all for listening today. Uh, another uh, very uh, important topic and something that I think I know I've benefited from. And I think uh, you, you all always bring great knowledge, but also insight. And this is a time uh, where we all need that. We just want to thank our audience for listening. Uh, this has been Man Breed Live. We believe that to understand a man is to acknowledge all.